friends, welcome. I'm Andrew Hicks, and you're listening to the Text and Context Podcast. All right. And what pattern would you be seeing? I have no idea to what you are referring. Um, something on your mind, do you think? Something on my, uh, I don't know. I wonder, wonder where that would be coming from. Yeah. Big event on the horizon, about four weeks, yeah. Actually, it's not directly related to that. So um, there is a group in town. It's wonderful. It, you should know about it. It's called the Bastrop Christian Ministerial Alliance. A lot of the like big events that they do in town, like March for Jesus and National Day of Prayer, the Easter Sunrise Service that we hosted, all those are like put on through the BCMA. It's just like all the pastors in Bastrop who get together and connect and work together because we're stronger when we're united and because the things that would unite us are far more important than the things that would divide us. And I think we know that more than anybody here at the gathering. So, um, but the BCMA, they had a lady come pretty recently who works with, uh, I don't remember the name, some government department, like Department of Child Protective Services, something like that. Some Child Protective Service Agency. I don't know if it was CPS specifically. Not the point. Today is what's called Blue Sunday. I just recently learned about this. Is anybody familiar with that? Okay, good. Then this comes at you out of nowhere. Good. Uh, That's good. I wanted it to be like a, I'm telling you something you hadn't heard. Uh, I just learned this. It's actually a newer phenomenon. Blue Sunday is the last Sunday in April. I also learned April is apparently Sexual Assault Awareness Month. (laughs) Learned that. So the last Sunday in April, Blue Sunday, is a day of prayer over uh, abused and neglected children, whoever, wherever they are, especially focusing on those that are in the foster system and that need to be taken care of. So my sermon is oriented towards that. Um, And I I think it's important. I think it's great. You know, we we hear a lot of talk about that. Um, I also just want to give brief warning. I'm not going to the most graphic parts of the text I'm reading this morning. I'm not. Wasn't good for Sunday. But just in case, I'm going to tell you, it's a tough text. Okay? It's a tough text. I'm just going to put that out there ahead of time. So if it's too much, no offense. Get up, leave. We'll chat later. I'm good. It's cool. Um, But I want you to keep one question in mind. One really, really important question. And it's the question you've got to ask yourself every single day if you're going to take this seriously. And the question is, what's her name? What's her name? The text I'm going to be reading from is Judges 19. Judges 19. Yeah, not Mark. Mm -hmm. Ha ha. Threw you for a loop. I I worked him in there on the readings, though, as you can see. Can't get away from him completely. Uh, I'm going to read the first few verses of Judges 19. In those days when there was no king in Israel, a certain Levite residing in Ephraim took to himself a concubine, from Bethlehem in Judah. But his concubine became angry with him, and she went away from him to her father's house at Bethlehem in Judah, and was there some four months. Then her husband set out after her to speak tenderly to her and bring her back. So that's, that's where we're starting, right there. Um, that beginning line, in those days there was no king in Israel. I have a problem with that. There is a king in Israel. Right? Who's Israel's king? It's Yahweh or Jesus. Ultimately, of course, Israel has a king. God is their king. 
what that means is they have no earthly king. And of course, you know, if you, if you skip over Ruth, which is in the time when the judges ruled, so you just kind of lump that in with judges, you skip straight to 1 Samuel. What's one of the first things that people are going to ask Samuel to ask God for once you get into the early chapters? <laughs> Give us a king. Oh, we got to have a king. All the other nations got a king. We got to be like them. In those days, Israel had no king. I imagine that Judges was written at a time uh, well after the events, which means they already knew that they eventually would have a king. I think the author is doing this ironically. Like, oh, and Israel had no king in those days. (sighs) Yeah, because of course they did. And this phrase occurs over and over in the book of Kings. It's like a, it's a refrain in the book of Kings. And if, or Judges, excuse me, we're in Judges. It's a refrain in the book of Judges. And uh, if you read the book of Judges, it's just a downhill spiral pretty quick. I mean, if I mapped it, it'd be like this. Pretty sharp, right? Some of the Judges in the beginning are good. Pretty quickly, they're terrible, and it just goes downhill from there. And then we escalate to things like what we're reading about in Judges 19. Um, and over and over, well, in those days, Israel had no king. Well, in those days, Israel had no king. Well, they're sure acting like they have no king, but yes, they do. Of course they do. God is their king. And then it says, um, a certain Levite. Oh, you know I can have fun with that. A certain Levite. Not just some general Levite. Do they have somebody in mind? You know, a certain Levite. Are the people in the audience going, ugh, is it like if some scandal happened in town and I said, well, a certain politician, and everyone goes, ugh. Is it like that? I wonder. A certain Levite. That's interesting. Perhaps this guy was like one of those larger-than-life figures. You know how often whenever something big, like some sort of big fiasco, if you're familiar with the rest of Judges 19, you can see why he would become a larger-than-life figure. Okay. Um, Whenever those events happen, we do. We kind of chalk them up to these bigger-than-life figures, and then all you got to do is mention something about them, some small attribute, and then everyone goes, ugh, or ugh. You know what I'm talking about. This happens. This happens all the time. It happens in families. It happens in churches. It happens in cities. You get it. A certain Levite. Perhaps he's, and you know, Levites probably had a little bit of power, a little bit of prestige in this world, right? Like they're God's chosen people to be the priest, the priestly family. So, I mean... Well, he comes from a good family, though. He would never do nothing wrong. You've never heard politicians like that, right? There's also this um, story that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 10 about a good Samaritan. And before the good Samaritan helps the guy on the side of the road that's been beaten up, there's several figures that walk past this man. The first one was a priest. The second one was a Levite. I wonder if people in Jesus' audience were going, oh, he's back at it again. Great. I wonder if he's one of those kind of larger-than-life figures. Just a thought. I don't know. Putting that out there. And then, I love this, the remote parts of the hill country of Ephraim. Is anybody else seeing the opening credits of a horror movie? Anybody, like, creepy stalker out in the middle of nowhere? That's what I'm getting from this the remote parts of the hill country of Ephraim. Oh, this is like a like a uh, one of those real crime documentaries, right? And we're getting the overview and we're like, oh, this is going to be bad. This is going to be bad. Because it's like nothing good happens in the cabin in the woods kind of thing, right? The hill country of Ephraim. And actually, biblically, it's not that far off from that either. Because over and over in the book of Judges and elsewhere in Scripture, the hill country of Ephraim 
is a notorious location for all sorts of sexual immorality, all sorts of idolatry, all sorts of child sacrifice, and all sorts of other general wickedness. It really is like, ooh. It is. It's a bad place. This, this really is. It, it, it's setting the scene, right? We really are getting creepy uh, serial killer vibes from this, okay? That really is, I think, what we're supposed to get there. And then he took to himself a concubine. Okay. All right, this is where it gets a little bit uncomfortable, but I will be very general in my language. Uh, a concubine is not really a wife. That's not what they are. Uh, I'm just going to shoot straight with you. Concubines are not wives. Concubines are um, slaves whose primary purpose is carnal and genealogical. I'll leave it at that. That's what they are. And to make it even more horrifying, these are not what we think of as what in our culture would be marriable age people. A lot of these are very, very young girls, preteens, probably. I wonder why I would use this text for today. So the concubines, um, they, they are, um, they're trafficked in a way. Because probably if they're slaves, slaves are often sold. Who sold her to this man? Probably her father that she runs back to. No wonder if you keep reading, he lets her leave with him again. Almost like, okay, fine. I wonder if he already has the money. He tries to show the Levite like a good time whenever he comes. It's like day after day after day of like, oh, come on, stay for another, stay for another round. It'll be fine. It's just like over and over again. Oh, just stay. It's great. I think he's like showing like I've already put the money to good use. I don't know. I'm reading between the lines a tad. I just wonder because somebody had to sell her. Somebody had to. And we don't get any mention of mom. So. Um, and then his concubine becomes angry with him. Does your Bible say something different? Unfaithful. Yeah, that's interesting. Um. The Hebrew's weird. I'll leave it at that. Hebrew's weird. It's not terribly clear. What, what I think it is, and, and what some people have said they think it is, and I would go that route, is because um, it, it makes sense to me in the story, it could be that he is um, trafficking her. That could be what's going on there. And she tries to escape and go back to dad. That, there's a good chance that's what's happening. It could be something else. It could be... Uh, she was just like, forget you. I don't know. But in context, it kind of seems like that. Um, and then she was there for some four months. Then her husband came after her. Did you, did you catch that gap? Four months. That's interesting. And then he's going to go speak tenderly to her. Okay, well, hold on to that thought. Because if I can ruin it for you as well. The speak tenderly to her thing, literally it's, Speak to her heart. Don't go awe because uh, heart is like the center of the person in Hebrew, right? It's like, it's like the core of a person. They're talking directly to you. Probably what this really is, is um, so like Shechem in Genesis 34, after he assaults Dinah, he goes to literally speak to her heart. You know what he's doing? He's making excuses as an abuser. I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to hit you. That won't happen again. That's fine. That's fine. It won't happen again. That's what he's doing. He's making excuses. That's what it is. Speak tenderly to her. No, he's trying to get back his property. To be frank. I'm going to skip the middle part of the story. It's implied. Okay. 
Um, And that's not even necessarily the point that I want to go this morning. But I want to go to the very end of the story after some of the worst parts. And this is in verse 27. In the morning, her master got up, opened the doors of the house. And when he went out to go on his way, there was his concubine laying at the door of the house with her hands on the threshold. Get up, he said to her, we're going. But there was no answer. And then he put her on the donkey and the man set out for his home. And when he had entered his house, he took the knife and grasping his concubine, cut her into 12 pieces, limb by limb, sent her out through all the territory of Israel. And then he commanded the men whom he sent, saying, Thus shall you say to all the Israelites, Has such a thing ever happened since the day that the Israelites came up from the land of Egypt until this day? Consider it, take counsel, and speak out. Get up, we're going? That's all you have to say? Terse, sharp, that's it. Get up, we're going. Is she dead at this point? She doesn't say anything. It's not clear, is it? Is she, uh, is she dead and then he puts her on the donkey and takes her home? Is she dead whenever he chops her up? He doesn't tell us. Maybe we just don't need to know. Maybe we just don't need to know. Maybe that's not even the point. Maybe she's been dead for a long time anyway. Hmm. You remember the question I asked you at the beginning? What's her name? I'll tell you, there's no evidence in between either. You can read the whole chapter. I, I'd encourage you to do so later. It's, uh, it's in our Bible. It's important. But you'll never find her name. In fact, you'll never find her name. You'll never find the Levite's name. You'll never find her father's name. You'll never find the man at Gibeah that helped them out's name. You'll never find anybody in the story's name. Nobody has a name in this story anywhere. It's like they worked as hard as they could to remove any name from the story. Oh, and God's never mentioned or named ever. Which makes sense because it's a pretty godless story. Whenever we fail to name people, that is the prerequisite for the abuse of the vulnerable. Notice how whenever we're trying to put up a straw man argument against a side that we disagree with, there's never names or faces, is there? Well, they, they always seem to agree with me or be complete idiots. There's never any in between, is there? Right? Well, they, there's never a name and a face and a person. And and that's on something like just ideological disagreements, let alone on things that are a little bit more personal, to put names and faces to people, to know their names. Um, It makes me think of the the foot washing under the bridge, church under the bridge, that's what they call it, that Heirs of Grace does uh, every so often. Um, And there's a comment that was made by someone a while back, I, I don't even remember where it came from, but it was some preacher who said something like, whenever you go help the poor, you're really not doing it to give them some soup. You're really not doing it to wash their feet. You're not even necessarily doing it to try to prop the gospel, although, of course, that's part of it. You're doing it to learn their names, to make them human, to make them persons, not just that guy that's on the side of the street. To give them names and to make them people. The failure to name people is actually the symptom of a larger problem, and it's neglect and apathy. The failure to name people is a failure to treat people like people. People have names because they are endowed with their creator, that they have names, that they are a person who is made in his image. And if we are, even the worst among us are too. And especially the vulnerable. Um, I know you wish there was more redemption in this story. I'm sad to say there's really not in this story. Uh, There's one uh, author who calls this a text of terror. I see why. 
I see why. It is very terrifying, and it is a text of terror. And it seems like there's no redemption in this story. There's not on this side, but thankfully we have a full canon of Scripture. We don't have just the book of Judges, thankfully. We have some other books in our Bible, too. Um, If you have one, you can look in John chapter 11 with me real quick. There's this offhanded, curious little remark that John makes that, of course, I'm attracted to because I love those random offhanded remarks that biblical authors make. This is chapter 11 of John, verse 54. Jesus, therefore, no longer walked about openly among the Jews, but he went from there to a town called Ephraim in the region near the wilderness. And he remained there with the disciples. Okay. You know, scholars were like, we don't really know where the town of Ephraim is. We know where the region was. And I'm like, I don't know, town called Ephraim in the region near the, like the hill country of the region of Ephraim, like that serial stalker vibe place. But Jesus is going out there for a different reason. Um, If you read the full chapter 11, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. He upsets all the religious authorities. And on either side of this verse, the religious authorities are trying to plot to kill him. Wait a sec. They're Levites, aren't they? Those Levites are trying to kill Jesus, that precious little lamb. Chop him up into pieces, break his body on the cross. It's even more interesting that uh, we'll never know her name on this side of the cross. We'll never know the name of the concubine from Bethlehem on this side of the cross. But we know the name of a, a savior from Bethlehem. And because of him, her suffering will never be in vain. Because of her, because of him and the redemption, one of these days, and this is going to be one of the first questions I ask when I get there, what is your name? Because I want to know. Because it's important. Um, he's a bad man, the Levite. But in an ironic twist, he gives some good advice there at the very end. Did you notice that? He said these three little phrases. He said, consider it, seek counsel, speak out. That works. Consider it. Uh, so if, if you're a, a somatic learner, if you need to use your body, take your finger, take your finger and point to your head. Uh, consider it. We have to consider it first. Okay. Consider it. I, I mean, there, there is, um, go to bluesunday.org if you have the stomach for it and it, it'll tell you some of the facts and reality. Um, even here in Bastrop County, there's lots of children who need a lot of help. Um, and so we got to consider the facts, and some of them are a little scary. I actually, they have these two little printouts that I uh, was going to make a bunch of printouts for, and then I forgot until this morning. But um, I can send them to you. You can print them yourself offline, bluesunday.org. They're super easy to find. But they have one that says um, 12 things the church should know about child abuse. You got the stomach for it? Consider it. Six million children are reported as abused annually. Most victims of abuse and neglect are 18 months and younger. Over 1,500 children die annually from child abuse in the United States. Nearly 80% were under four years old. 80% of the prison population was once in foster care. Each year, about 26,000 youth age out of foster care, most age 18. And then there's this little verse at the end. You've probably heard it. Pure and undefiled religion before God our Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction. Now, look, I'm not like coming at you like, 
I've got this figured out and you people need to go take this seriously. No, like this is an area that's kind of on my heart, but I feel like it's really important. And there are some concrete practical ways we can get involved as individuals and even as the church. And they have another handout for that. Uh, 12 things that we can do to get involved. There's little things like um, even just collecting some toys. Um, And another thing that you don't think about is, you know, you collect toys for the younger kids. Some of the older kids don't want toys. They want gift cards. Go to Walmart and, I don't know, get clothing or something. I I don't know. I don't know what people want, but they want gift cards usually. You know, something that's more age-appropriate for some of the older ones. Show them love too. They're close to getting out of the system. They need love. Um, Also, uh, there is a program that I'm going to try to get us signed up on. I don't understand all the inner workings of it just yet, but it's actually this program online where with the other churches in Bastrop County, we get to join, and whenever there's a need, it just like pops up, and we can say, got it. But the really cool part that I like about this program is, let's say there's some foster family somewhere, and they need a bed. They need a queen bed. Uh, Probably not queen bed. They need a twin bed. I don't know. And then we say, oh, we can do that. Boom. Uh, Oren has a twin bed that he just, just somebody gave to him. Great. Now you get to take it to them, set it up, put it in there. Oh, and while you're there, you could ask what their name is. I think that's really cool. Or if you collect, like, you know, sometimes they do, like, meals for the holidays. You take it. I like that. Because more than just being like, I wrote a check to charity. Look at me. It's good. Somebody's got to do that. But also, like, names. Injustice is the failure to treat people as people. And people have names. So you consider it. That's the first one. Then you seek counsel. So seek the people, seek the processes that are in place to do something about this. So again, if you're a a person that's got to use your body, consider it. Seek counsel, right? Point of your eye. Seek counsel. Uh, In other words, find the people who already are doing this and know how to do it right. Don't launch in there and then do something stupid that's going to make more damage than good. Go in there and do it right. There's some structures in place. And I know that, for example, the lady that spoke at the BCMA, she is desperate to get this information out there. She is just pouring over to share it. I mean, it's, it's free. It's available. She wants volunteers. She's just trying to put it out there. It's available if we'll look for it. And uh, again, bluesunday.org. It's good stuff. You can, you can look in there. You can have these printouts. I can always um, find more later. So you consider it, you seek counsel, and then you, you speak out. And then you speak out. We always hear speak out and you think like, child abuse is wrong. Everyone goes, yay. Nobody thought otherwise, unless you're completely crazy. That's one thing, to get up here and say, child abuse is wrong, I'm speaking out, look at me. And everyone goes, yay, he's so smart and so caring. Speaking out, I think, is more, hey, what's your name? I think it's more like that. To speak with them, out loud, to a person, not just think like, oh, that kid's cute. To talk, to be patient. Because they got some problems. And to learn their name. How was that for an encouraging Sunday? (laughs) But Jesus has absorbed all our sufferings. And he propels us and sends us out to take care of the least of these. We may never know the name of that concubine from Bethlehem this side of heaven. But we know the name of the Savior from Bethlehem. And he suffered and he died. And his body was broken on the cross so that none of ours have to be, and so that we can imagine a world where nobody else's has to be either. But that we can go 
and we can ask, what's your name? Thanks for listening to the Text and Context podcast. If you're interested in some other great content, then you can go over to my website. It's txtandcontxt.com. It's text and context without E's in it. So again, that's txtandcontxt.com. Head on over there and check out a bunch of free resources and plenty of articles about a wide range of topics, as well as book reviews and plenty more. Thank you for listening.